Welcome to Doctor Who A to Z, a show that covers everything Doctor Who from beginning to end, from 1963 to present, from Hartnell to Gatwa, from Auton to Zygon. Hey, Whovians, welcome back to Doctor Who A to Z. My name is Alan. My name is Josh. And I'm Ashley. And here we are, back together after a week off for Christmas. How was Christmas for you guys? It was good. Nice and quiet and just not working, which is always nice. Boy, that's the truth. <laughs> Same for me. Not a, not a lot uh, crazy, but uh, it was a lot of fun and it has been great to uh, uh, just relax a little bit and not worry about um, real life. Right on. Did you get any good Doctor Who gifts? I, what did I get? I got, I got the target novelization of Warrior's Gate. Because it has a oh, couple sweet. of new stories in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I, I did I did not, but I did get uh, the Now and Then single on vinyl. Oh, cool. I actually already had, but it's a different color. So that <laughs> oh my <works>. God. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. Well, speaking of Christmas, we have a brand new Doctor Who episode to talk about. The Church on Ruby Road, which aired on Christmas Day. And I'd, let's just start right at the top. Right as soon as the opening credits roll, we have two brand new names in the credits. And that is Shudi Gatwa and Millie Gibson as our new Doctor and Companion. So let's just start with that. Let's just talk about what we thought of our new Doctor and Companion, um, their performances, their character arc as much as we see it in this one episode. What do you think? I'll let you go first, Ashley. Oh, okay. Um, no, I loved it. I think uh, I think it's it's a fresh take uh on both the uh the doctor and the companion it's got an energy uh they they both have an energy that um i feel like we haven't had in quite a while i mean it was just like hit the ground running which i thought was uh was great and i really uh i really liked um ruby more than i expected to like uh they she's very nuanced uh and i think it's going to be fun to see this her story kind of unfold and with uh the 15th doctor uh with shooty's doctor i am just uh incredibly impressed like the energy uh that he brings to the role and and very energetic he feels like he as an actor is excited to be there and i think that shines through the uh the story and anytime he's on screen i mean he 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 commands the scene well, now that Ashley's giving you the good side, no, I kid, I kid, I kid. No, I, I love them both too. I'm, uh, you know, I knew I was gonna love Shooty. I, I think he's a, a brilliant actor, and just a little bit that we got at the end of the giggle with him, he was pretty phenomenal, and he, he carries through on this. You know, there's a little bit of me that almost was like, oh, man, is he gonna be like too cool to be the doctor? Because I don't want the doctor to actually be cool, I think. I think it's better if he thinks he's cool, but he's not really. But I think he really nailed it. Um, I mean, like, he's obviously going to be a cooler doctor than what we've seen in the past. But he's still the doctor, if that makes any sense, which I, I really appreciated. Things that he gets excited for and the way that, you know, he's super excited at this 
fresh newness thing that he's experienced with with all of this new like pseudo magical stuff going on around him um it really like seems to to bring him to life and he's acting all excited when you know as, as ruby is like this is horrible what are you, what are you why are you so excited they're, they're gonna eat the baby and he's like no it's not cool but he's like you know just excited at the freshness of it he really brings that to life and i i again and it actually talks about the energy and the energy is there and the excitement is there and he just draws you in i think he is wonderful and i knew he was going to be so no surprise there but as with ashley i'm surprised at how much i like ruby i really feel like this is the best companion that russell's ever given us she just feels realer if that makes any sense like that makes absolute sense you're, you're gonna have to like set aside the fact that oh my god it's another you know modern shop girl type character because that's just what's i mean just accept it that's what we're gonna have to deal with we're obviously modern doctor who is you gotta have you know a modern age companion for an audience identification figure so i mean you just have to deal with that but that being said like she feels so much more realistic than rose ever did um even more so than any other rtd like as much as i love Catherine tate like she never really acted like a real person i felt like ruby's reaction to things going on around her i mean like proved that she you know was companion material but also was kind of realistic enough to like make sense the way that she's acting and responding to things and the way that she's figuring things out like she just felt like a real person for once and it really you know brought me into her i totally agree with that and i think a lot of that has to do with the initial setup that we got where she's sitting down for an interview and you get this backstory of hers like right off the bat in it's delivered to you wholesale almost, but in a way that doesn't feel like a, an egregious info dump. It's done in a way that makes sense with the story. And, and I think it, I find it really compelling and I thought her performance was great, but back to shooty. Um, you know, we talk about how he hit the ground running and it's interesting to go back and look at the other, doctors who we kind of say the same thing about and i'm thinking specifically tom baker and in some ways pertwee they just came in and sort of knew exactly what they wanted to do with their doctor and they did it from the first episode in but at the same time even with that being the case you can look and see how much they grew and evolved and their character changed over the time that they were in the role and i think that uh, with Shooty starting out as strong as he is, I just can't wait to see everything that's going to unfold with changes in his performance, changes in the way that he's written over time. I think we're in a really exciting place with that. Yeah, absolutely. Can't uh, disagree with that at all. I, you know, I mean, as we move into talking about the episode proper, I, <laughs> you know, there's so much about this episode that I should not like that. I know logically that these are the type of things that RTD does that bugs the crap out of me. And yet I just can't help but like it. And in so much of that is the strength of the characterization going on here. And I, I don't know, again, I keep coming back to the fact that I don't know if I've just been beaten down so much from the Chibnall era that I'm ready to accept anything like, but it, it does. It, it really feels like, while this is still the RTD that annoyed me so much in the past, he has made some progressions and moved on and learned from watching the things that have happened after he left the show. And it really feels like a step forward to me. 
I think going to what you said, uh, Alan, it's going to be fun to see where he goes. And I think uh, in uh, story wise, it's going to be fun too. They've already kind of set up that they're, I feel like they're setting him up against bigger villains, right? Like, uh, more cosmic threats than galactic threats uh, or even planetary threats. Uh, while I'm sure we'll, we'll still see those, uh, I think giving, having that energy and seeing what, what that particular, what, what shooty does and then how they write this doctor uh, kind of progresses into that and how, how this energy will play off of those things. Now that's an assumption. I don't, I'm just basing this on interviews and things that have, that we've read, but feels like that's where they're going. And I'm excited to see, kind of this oldest version thus far of the doctor as every regeneration is the oldest version that we see and how they consider that and how they consider his history uh, uh, and, and then shooty playing the role as well. I I'm, I'm incredibly excited to see where they go with the mm-hmm. character. Yeah. And Josh was talking about some of the RTD isms that drive him bananas. There's one that I kind of want to get into, and this may be jumping ahead a little bit, but one of the things that I kind of had a hard time with when the show started in 2005 was that everything revolved around the companion and her family. And that remained the case throughout RTD's run. And I feel like when Moffat started his run, he kind of picked up on that. Like it was the template that had been set for new who and he just continued it on and uh, you know it it to me it grounds the show a little bit too much it makes it too domestic it makes it too earthbound to always keep coming back to that and it's not something that i've ever even though the characters like jackie tyler i loved i didn't care about any of the other ones really well okay uh, wilfred i loved but i really like ruby's family like, I feel like this is a very realistic situation. I feel like this is not something that's constructed just to, you know, have a reason to have the companion come back to Earth. I feel like these are real people. And, and I really, really enjoyed getting to know them uh, over the course of this episode. And while I don't want to see the show come back too much to Earth, and come back too much to Ruby's family. I wouldn't mind checking in on, on these two ladies again. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you with that sentiment. Like I am not a fan of being tethered back to a family at all, but that being said, again, at least we have some real actual people as characters in this family as opposed to to you know god love her jackie jackie was never a real character and you know um donna's mom never a real character right. until the recently i mean like all that right. kind of stuff this never really sat with me it's just you know they were all ciphers to you know be big stereotypes to you know play against the doctor or whatever but these feel like actual real characters and we're going to talk a little bit more later on i'm sure about you know what the story of the season, I guess, it's going to end up being. But having these characters against that backdrop and what we might see going forward, um, I think it has a, a decent potential for some good dramatic moments. And again, they are a, a much more interesting dynamic to come back to, I think, than we've ever had before. No notes. <laughs> I was like, I don't care about the family. Get me out there with some ray guns and spaceships. 
Russell will be glad to know that you have no notes for his <laughs> for his writing on this episode. <laughs> I, I I would I would say that uh, we said that Russell T Davies was kind of the template of that. In a way, you could almost say that Andrew Carmel was the template of that, right? In that last kind of though. yes. I mean, yeah. they kind of set that up with with Ace and where they're going. So yeah. it's almost like that's a holdover from from Classic Who. We never quite saw it uh, to the extent that we see it here, but but it's something that was set up um, kind mm-hmm. of before that as well. Yeah. And that's why I feel like if you watch particularly season 26 of classic and then jump over to Rose, it, it's almost other than the stylistic presentation of it on screen. It thematically, it's almost seamless the way that he dealt with the companion and the companion backstory in season 26 and the way it's done in series one. I think that you, it just forms a, a seamless path, basically. Well, I mean, the thing is, so there was story there with Ace's background and, uh, yeah. you know, what, how that impacted her. And I think we didn't really have that with, you know, I mean, we guess a little bit with Rose and whatever, but, but I think really here we have a lot of potential for that type of story because I mean, I, I think obviously one of the main things we're going to be looking at as we go forward is, you know, what is family? Like obviously Ruby's big character arc is going to be, she's going to want to know where she came from, who her parents were. And the idea of being, well, how does that impact you when your real family is the person who raised you and you grew up with? And we see like what an impact that Ruby was on her mother and on that family. And I I think that that dynamic there between her wanting to get the answers and accepting that maybe it was for the best that she grew up with it, she did. I mean, there's a lot of good drama potential there. And I think that's why I'm much more interested in going back to these people because I think that just seeing her with them and, and how that's going to play on her and her backstory and what she decides to do with her life in the future is much more interesting than Rose going back to Jackie. Oh yeah. I totally agree with that. So like you said, there's story there, right? It's a mystery. Like we've got this mystery of who she is. We don't even know who she is. She doesn't even know who she is, uh, which I, I think is, also interesting that, and they're going to play into this, I believe, because they've already mentioned it, the um, timeless child. They're yes. playing into that way more than I expected uh, Russell to. I mean, I, I knew it, would be, it wouldn't just disappear, but I didn't realize it would be such a plot thread. And it's turning into through the 60th, and even now he's mentioning it. Um, so I think those two things are going to com- connect. I, I don't Absolutely. think it will be the same yep. story, but they're going to, they're going to tell the story together. Right? But yeah. I, again, I think that makes for a good drama, which is why, I mean, like, God help me, Russell T Davies and his fucking mystery boxes that he's got to try to throw in as a thorough line through every season. Like I, right. I, that's one of the things that normally would really tick me off. We're going to talk about Mrs. Flood and then Mrs. Flood. Oh, yeah. oh, just don't even get me started on that. But the Ruby as a mystery box, I don't mind so much, even though like I think in the past it would have, but for the, the fact that her backstory is a mystery and I'm sure it'll be something big and cosmic and whatever, but I don't really care about that so much because of the way it connects with the doctor's past. Mm-hmm. And now the way that he's having to deal with finding out the information. And because I think oh, there's such, I mean, and again, this is all going to see depending on how this upcoming season plays out because there was a 
such a good dramatic potential that we've got here because we see in this episode the doctor is back there he could have gone to find out who her mother was obviously he knows that's just the information that she wants to know but he chooses not to go after her he chooses not to pursue the information and i almost feel like that was done on purpose because like he doesn't have the information he wants a connection with somebody else like if he finds that out for ruby then he doesn't have that connection with her anymore because right now he's got a connection with her. They, they both don't know where they came from. He doesn't, if he like plays this season where he doesn't want to help her get the, because let's be honest, the first thing that Ruby should do when she walks in that Tars at the start of the next season should be take me back to that church so I can find out who my mom was. But that is the, if they don't do that, that is something that is completely unbelievable because her yeah. big story is, all through this episode is she wants to find out about her past. She wants to find out about her yeah. parents. She's found out that there's no record of them anywhere. The first thing anybody in that situation would do and finding out they have access to a time travel device is I want to go back to that night and find out. So if she doesn't bring that Sounds up. Sounds a lot like wanting to go back and meet your father. Well, I mean, and exactly. It's, it's a little bit too much parallel with, with C series one in 2005. I mean, but, but whatever, that, that that's fine. But my, my point being is she should be asking about that. Yes, she should be. He should then deflect it for whatever reason, because he doesn't really want to do that. And then that gives a kind of dramatic tension between them throughout the course of the series. I think that is a good way to bring out some drama and, you know, have them work together. I mean, obviously they'll still be off and having their adventures and whatnot, but always having her in the back of her mind, like, why won't he take me back there? And him having to like come up with reasons as to why not to, I think that is a good story hook. I mean, Absolutely. We'll I totally agree with you. You know, when we were talking about the timeless child, we, we talked over the course of the three tenant specials, how interesting it was that Russell incorporated that in different ways and in really meaningful ways. And here we have it again. And it's so interesting that he has taken something that, you know, of, of his previous showrunner kind of came up with this just massive concept and just threw a monkey wrench in everything that we've ever understood about Doctor Who. And then, you know, split. And then Russell comes in and takes that concept and has made it something interesting and something important and something meaningful. And we have it here where he is using that to establish this bridge, this connection between the doctor and his new companion. And I found that so damn compelling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like one of these days we'll end up going back to those episodes and we'll talk about how I felt about that timeless child reveal back in the day. Um, and never in a million years, would I ever thought that I would be okay with the, this concept, but you know, using it as a springboard for this kind of character arc that we're seeing with the doctor, like it makes perfect sense. And it actually has me excited. Like, I don't want to know anything about the actuality of the timeless child. I just want to see what impact finding this out has on the doctor. That's what I care about. Yeah, totally. Totally. You can jump no in. Notes. If you want, Ash. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Oh, you guys, you guys uh, followed it up. Well, I mean, I think, I think, I think that's the interesting thing, Josh, and I know we'll talk about this and maybe we can go into it now. You mentioned the mystery boxes and, and Russell loves his mystery boxes. And that's kind of been a tenant of Doctor Who past Russell also. But I, I think the issue now is that we have one, two, three, four, five 
uh, mystery boxes uh, on the show. And we don't yes. now some of them might be the same, right? We don't know because they're mystery boxes. The boss and the one who waits might be the same person. Mrs. Flood might be the same person or might be someone different. Ruby is something might be connected to one of those things may not be. And then we have the timeless child. So that's, that's five yeah. different mystery boxes that, that might turn out to be either these things are the same. And if they're the same, we need to just call them <sighs> the same thing. I don't want to. Or just... They're, just, they're just red herrings. And that's possibly problematic. Uh, I mean, it's not problematic at this point. But, man, we're going in a lot of directions. And fan theories are going crazy. And <sighs> that's going to affect the, the, the way people perceive this series this is my biggest issue with yeah. this episode and what's going on in these specials i just pick a goddamn lane russell quit throwing out like every single potential possible mystery box that actually just said we've got like four of them like i don't care i don't want any of that stick with the ruby issue like obviously that's the one that's going to have the most dramatic potential why yeah, probably all you be gotta, connected, right? I mean, well, I don't, I don't know, and but... I don't care. Like this whole like dropping hints about the boss—that's just goes back to yeah. like God. He just, he just can't help himself. Just throwing stuff out there that is completely meaningless, just so that you can have somebody reference it over multiple episodes and then do whatever the hell you want to at the end. But whatever. But this Mrs. Flood thing—he just cannot help himself from turning these damn Christmas specials into a panto. I just—it's just. It's just one step too far. I just, I can't. I just bugs the crap out of me. Just why do you want to throw that in there when you've already got something else that you can fill up an entire season with? And now all you've got people online to talk about is, oh, it's the Ronnie. Oh, it's River Song back. Like, God damn it. Why are we having to focus on that when we could be focusing on what's actually important about yeah. these Actor Who episodes? And this is what you've got the internet focusing on. Oh, God, it bugs the crap out of me. Yes, I think the thing that he does that for, the reason he does it is because it gets fandom really gassed up. It gets them really into it. It gets them really anxious. It gets them involved. And that carries on from series to series. So, you know, it, it in a way, it's a smart viewing move. numbers, too. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, this Miss Flood thing, the thing that bugs me is that, and this has nothing to do with Russell. This is all the fans. They always go to like the same five solutions. Anytime one of these mystery boxes is thrown out, it's either going to be Susan or it's going to be River or the doctor's daughter or, or Romana or whatever, the, the Ronnie the or Ronnie. the Valyard. Oh my God. And it's always the same stuff. And it never turns out to be any of those things ever, but that's always the stuff that people always go to. Just let, right, just, just let it go, people. Let it let go. Exactly. Here's the let thing about, here's the thing that, that I took away. Actually, when I first watched it, I didn't think the Mrs. Flood thing was, I didn't think about it being another red herring, right? Like I thought it being a, honestly, a little patronizing to American viewers. I mean, we've got this oh. new scene. You've got this new new thing, and you've got this person talking to this new audience, right? This yep. Disney Plus audience. What, you've never seen a TARDIS before? Ha! Like, right. to me, it was almost offensive to American viewers. Now, granted, <laughs> I'm an American viewer who have been who has been viewing this since I was two years old. I am not the standard new viewer of right. this show. But to me, it was the the show, the, the show, the creative the creative team talking to this new audience and not in a friendly way. Um, almost oh, in a pa patronizing way, that's right? That's interesting. I never <clears throat> would have thought of that. 
And that's the way I see it. I mm. see this as a message from the new the new creative team. And I don't think it's meant no. to be patriotic. I don't think it is. No. It, it, what it is, it's just Russell T. Davis is in his background of soap operas and pantomimes. And this is a very pantomime thing to do to talk directly to the audience and, you know, give a big old wink. That's and it's a Christmas episode. So I think it's okay to do it in that. That's all it is. That's all it is. And uh, he's already said that she's going to be coming back and she's part of mystery and whatnot. Ugh. <clears throat> Well, right. there's also a history, uh, you know, there's the there's the Christmas history of talking to the screen, right? Right. There's that that um, that William Hartnell uh, doing that. So, OK, fine. I will say this based on other comments that Russell has made specifically regarding Davros about not wanting to put villains in a wheelchair. But my point is, she is in a wheelchair and I do not believe she will be a negative force uh, based on things that that Russell has, she's not has in the wheelchair. About, she's she not in the wheelchair. wheelchair. She's she sat in a chair, but she was wasn't talking she about. In, wasn't it a wheelchair though? No, she was just a regular chair. She talked about running a marathon, so That's she's right, not in the right. wheelchair. But it was. Well, oh, maybe it was when she. Maybe it was when she was in a. Uh, when he went back to that alternate time, there was there was at least one scene where I'm positive. Maybe not. She, maybe she had a little. She had a little chair now. which she has outside her apartment where uh, she sits and watches people in the neighborhood, but it's not a wheelchair. Okay, well, the, I saw that wrong. I, I know that she had talked about that, but there is also, I'll, I'll double check that for some reason a wheelchair is in my head, but okay. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, like, I, I'm sure people were making mountains out of molehills. I mean, obviously, she's not some grand old villain. She doesn't know what the police box is, but she first sees it. She's all shocked when it dematerializes. So obviously, she's got some sort of connection to some other time lord or something right I'm sure we'll find out right she knows what a tardis is but she didn't recognize the police box as being one right. so that's interesting i'm still like if she doesn't turn out to be the terrible zodan i am jumping ship i'm off this show forever well totally it's been nice knowing you alan <laughs> i know right <laughs> uh, i just think that would be the most hilarious thing that could ever happen it would just yeah. be so funny well, I mean, if we're, if we're taking shots, like if that's not Ruby leaving herself at the church doorstep at the end of the season, I'll eat my hat. Ruby leaving herself at the yep. church. I, you, I, I'll, I'll mark that as my big prediction that she has to make the choice as to whether, you yeah. know, to take her back to her original parents or leave her with so that she can be growing up with her uh, yeah. uh, foster mom and she'll make the choice to leave it with her foster mom. Yeah. Mark my words, that's going to happen. Yeah, I've seen that theory here and there. I don't think most people are talking about it from that way, but I, I do see that as being the potential for a really good story and yes. a really good character moment. And I, I kind of feel like that's the direction that Russell is going this time around. He's doing story beats that make more sense, that are more realistic. And I honestly feel like with the setup that we got with those three characters in this episode, that there's going to be something where she has to make a choice and the choice is going to be the mother who raised her and loved her. Yes. I, that's, that's the gotta be the way to go. And if yeah. you don't go that way, I'll be so disappointed because it is just going to be in that Russell is not who I hope he'd be. <laughs> well, let's talk about some of the, other aspects of the episode because you know in addition to ruby and her parents and the doctor we also have some damn goblins i don't know man the, the goblins was like the weakest part of the episode to me yeah i mean yes this is the case 
I, I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't really mind them. I, I, I like. I like the doctor's reaction to them more than yeah, them agreed. As, as itself. Like agreed. I, I like what the doctor has to say about them and the way that he reacts and, you know, the way he puts things together and it's like a, a new science for him. Um, I, I, I appreciate that they couched it that way, that it's, again, it's a different kind of technology. And I mean, like yeah. there's no real difference between magic I mean, as you know, he and Ruby have a conversation about it, which is basically just magic. And he's like, well, no, it's it's this. But she's like, but it's basically magic, which mm-hmm. is the truth. So it's like, you know, we're kind of getting our cake and eating it, too, because obviously we're going to have more fantastical stuff in the upcoming series. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of couched in a pseudo-scientific point of view, which I appreciate. That I mean, that way we're not going completely off the rails here. So from that point, I appreciate it. And, and as Russell says, and I kind of agree, like nobody really cares that's the reason why. Like they're in the episode and they're doing whatever they do. And the point is how the doctor reacts to it, which I, I kind of agree with. Yeah. I thought the whole, um, I'm learning the language of the rope was such mm-hmm. an interesting scene. I thought that was such a great angle. And, and of course, Shooty played it well. Yeah. I mean, like, in like learning the, you know, the science of luck and the yes. way, like, I, I actually really kind of liked up to the point where we get on that ship. I really kind of liked it because they're like almost gremlin esque, right? They're, they're yeah. out there, like, causing accidents and, like, it's a cool little concept and it's, you know, kind of mythology and the reason why these gremlins are, you know, causing havoc and, and doing mean things and like creating this whole coincidence thing to make that like i, I like that concept a lot I did like too. once we get onto the ship and you know the musical number i mean that's eh, i mean i didn't mind it so much i mean like i thought i'd hate it i didn't really hate it i mean like what what i really kind of like is obviously like we're doing labyrinth right and i feel like the doctor gets on the ship realizes he's doing like i'm in labyrinth so i gotta do a musical number at this point in time like and if yeah. i look at it from that point of view like i'm like all right makes sense to me i and didn't mind shells it. it so yeah i didn't mind it as much either but i think that's because they softened the blow for me by releasing the song and the video of it beforehand so i knew what was coming sure and and i just oh man i just did not like what i saw when they released it initially <laughs> but knowing that it was going to be there i knew what i was in for yeah <laughs> And the Goblin King doesn't look anything like David Bowie. Let's just no. say. No, I, I still stand by the fact they should have stuck him in some tight pants. Right just on. because. <laughs> so th- that's the, the funny thing is there was rumor of a of Russell wanting to do a musical episode back in the, his original run. I, I think there was a musical episode in Buffy and he there was some some talk, some interviews and things that he's like, well, I'd love to do that. Right. I'd love to do that kind of thing. Uh, and he never he never did. So I think finding and it's seeming like there might be more than one uh they may do it again um at least one uh, one other time so uh that idea of a musical number i guess in um in doctor who is pretty pretty interesting uh the, to make it so theatric right uh it's a it's kind of a new um a new take on that uh, to my memory i know i mean we had capaldi with the guitar and we've done some things like that but um nothing that was a choreographed goblins swinging from ropes and all of that. I mean, that's uh, something that's kind of new and, and, and interesting. I mean, I didn't, I didn't dislike it. Um, It's just, it's kind of a new thing in Dr. Who. Yeah. I mean, my dislike of it still goes right back to the fact that anytime we have alien or non-human music in Dr. Who, 
it never sounds like alien or non-human. <laughs> it always sounds like a fucking show tune or something. And, <laughs> you know, it, it, this doesn't sound like goblins. That's all I'm saying. Just like the Ood song didn't sound like Ood. It sounded like a human choir and, it, you know, with our tonality and our, you know, it just drives me nuts. Just make something. So that what you're saying alien. is we need Vogon poetry. Yes. I'd be all for that. <laughs> I think, I think it was interesting that like they set up the new abilities of the sonic screwdriver, right. In the 60th anniversary. And really we didn't see anything new. Uh, I, I expected with this new Sonic that he has uh, that that we would see like the cool things that we saw in the last thing. Uh, but he had now it may be that he hasn't had the time to do it, uh, hasn't had the opportunity to use those things. Um, but I, 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 I did expect and I still expect them to kind of go further with that Sonic screwdriver, uh, those Sonic screwdriver abilities that we saw. Yeah. In, have we, have uh, we talked about the new Sonic? I don't think we have. No, not have yet. We? I don't uh, think so. I mean, like, I, I know everybody's up in arms, like, oh, it looks like a TV or moon or whatever. But you know what? Whatever, it's fine. Like, the Sonic screwdriver has not been a Sonic screwdriver in ages. There's nothing screwdriver about it. So why not have it look more like what it is, which is like a tricorder? That's like a tricorder for yeah. years now. So why not have it look more tricorderish? I don't really don't care. I mean, if that's what you're going to use it for, why not? There you go. The definitive statement. <laughs> I don't really care for it, but I, you know, I might get I mean, like, to it. Right. I mean, like, I don't care for either, but I mean, I, I never care for the Sonic. I don't, I just, well, like, no, I'd just, rather be done with and get rid absolutely, of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, like if you're going to have it be uh, whatever machine anyway, why not have it look more like something that you actually could yeah. do anything with rather than just like a screwdriver that you can somehow like look at and read settings on or something. Oh I don't my know. God. That was the worst thing ever. <laughs> Holy smokes. But, you know, now we also, I mean, this isn't what they're called, but essentially they're Sonic gloves, which help him climb stuff or whatever and help him pull a pirate ship down out of the sky and whatever. Eh, it's just too much. Yeah, you I know? mean, like, I do like I, the I, idea. I don't like him pulling, like, tech out of his pants to whatever he needs to like if he had cobbled it together on site that always feels yeah doctorish to me right but just pulling it out like oh i just happen to have built this for the applied situation that that kind of bothers me but i mean like he's always going to be doing tech stuff just you know if he cobbled it together on site that makes yeah. it better for me well and if he's going to pull something out of his pocket like that it needs to be a yo-yo or a ratchet <laughs> or something that's just an ordinary object that you're just like, why would you carry that around? But, you know, to have made a special set of gloves just for this purpose, is it's just, it's a little far-fetched for me. Right. But to be fair, he makes a good point. He does a lot of climbing up well, and climbing okay, on the sure. thing. So why wouldn't you have something like that? Like, I, I, you know, props were, I, I, you know, it's, it's something that he has to deal with. So why wouldn't he think of something like that? So I, I can't blame yeah like, totally i mean because... if he had done this earlier tom baker would still be the doctor um, <laughs> wow so, um yeah. dude <laughs> oh that's um, funny <laughs> uh, but i do like the idea that he's inventing things right it seems very perfectly yes to me like he's sitting there like inventing things uh creating things making things and it's something that you you yes you're right josh he sometimes he cobbles things together on the spot but i like to think of the doctor as this inventor kind of the mad scientist so it's kind of interesting to to know that like in his spare times he's like you know what 
that time I fell off a ladder and died, maybe I could have something that would keep me from doing that um, right. and go from there. Right. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Well, I want to talk real quick about something that um, I always appreciated. Some people didn't, but about when we first were introduced to Rose uh, and, and something that I noticed uh, similar to Ruby, right. Is, uh, Rose did a thing that was just a one-off line, but like, why is, why is she willing to do this? Right. And she's like, oh, I, you know, I didn't do well in school, but I was all right in gymnastics. Right. There's that one line that like set it off and she does yeah. a thing and does it. They explain why they do that. Even if it, it could be explained better, it could have been shown, could have been done better, but at least it was explained. A lot of companions do things and you, you don't know why they're doing it. Why are they doing this? Why there's no connection. There's no history, nothing like that. And I feel like, she, he did the same thing with Ruby. Like, why would she go jumping off things? Like, she will do anything to save these kids because it has been put in her and has been instilled in her to do that. And and yeah. I, I thought her the reason why she is like she is and, and the reason she would jump off onto a rope uh, or onto a, a ladder is because she will do anything to, to do that. And I think that is a great way of explaining that character. Uh, well, and I mean, as I was saying earlier, like she feels more realistic. Like it's not that she's just jumping headfirst into danger, like and she's doing right. backflips into doing it. Like she hesitates. She she realizes she's up on the roof, and you know, but she has a very like realistic teenage reaction when the goblin hisses at her, and then she realizes, wait a second, look how high I am, and then like she has like that moment of hesitation before she jumps onto that ladder. Um, but again, it proves that how she is realistic, but fights through that to be a, a you know someone who is a companion material. And the doctor kind of calls that out as he jumps onto the ladder with her. So I I agree with you. I think that we have a great setup as far as like making it believable why she would do those things, but also making it seem realistic as like she's just not out there being an action hero. She has reasons to do what she does, and then fights through you know that hesitation to do it, which I thought really work well for a companion. Yeah, I agree. Yep, totally. The, well, the last thing I want to talk about is I really appreciated, you know, showing the world without Ruby. Because again, I think we'll end up probably coming back to that. Oh, yeah. It's going to be very important. And just how great a performance that was um, by the actress to, you know, show like how like kind of more heartless and caring she was without Ruby in her life and just how everything looked darker and bleaker. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really well done to really sell that. Um, it even kind of fits into the Christmas theme because it's kind of like it's a wonderful life-ish type of thing. Um, so I thought that was a really good, I mean, it didn't last too long in the episode, but I think it really sells, you know, who Ruby is and what she means to this family and what this family ends up meaning to her in the long run. Um, and I think we've got some great story potential that's going to happen from there. Man, I totally agree with that. That was absolutely one of the highlights of the episode. All right. Well, let's give it a rating, Josh. Why don't you go first? Right, you start with me. Um, I'm going to give it a solid seven. Um, I think it has some issues with, you know, the goblins and the whatnot, but like everything that, um, you know, Shooty and Millie bring to the story um, are some great performances, keeps you interested. I mean, like there's just so much potential here um, that I'm rating it highly on that potential, I think. Um you know, it could potentially 
be higher if I come back to it if things play out the way that I want them to play out. I mean, we'll see. It's a good start. It's a good setup um, for the story. Um, and despite all of the Christmas special RTD-isms that I absolutely cannot stand, um, I mean, that brings it down those points. But, I mean, like, overall, like, I'm very happy with these run of specials. Um, they've all run from, you know, well above average to excellent. So I'm very happy with the way Doctor Who was looking going out from here. Like, I just hope that uh, we move forward and not backward to 2005. Yeah, I'll um, I'll uh, jump in. I, I think um, I agree. I think a seven. I think it's a solid episode. It's a great introduction for uh, for new characters. It's a I mean, we've already kind of met uh, Shooty's doctor, but I think uh, for the most part, uh, this is a great introduction to his his doctor proper. Um, you get to see him uh, kind of in action. You get to see uh, the new character, uh, the new companion, rather, Ruby, uh, in in action and just going for it. And I think uh, ultimately, I think it's a solid story, a solid introduction story, as good as any any other ones. And in terms of Christmas specials, it probably rates up there as one of the best Christmas specials also. Um, so I, I think it's a solid seven. Man, I Maybe totally... higher, I don't know. I totally agree. I have not liked really any of the Christmas episodes and even some of the new year's day episodes. Now that's up until Capaldi. Cause I really liked all of the Capaldi Christmas episodes. Um, and you know, one or two of the Matt Smith ones was okay, but the RTD ones, I just, man, I never liked any of them. And, you know, I go back to when we were talking about the three tenant specials for the 60th anniversary is that there was so much of what you expect from RTD in those episodes and all stuff that I had never liked before and really enjoyed this time around. And I find that to be the case in this one too. You get all those RTD things that you expect to get, but they're done in a way that I really liked. And, you know, we've got a great new doctor and companion. I'm very excited to see where both of them go. You know, I'm also even just the tiniest bit intrigued about the Miss Flood thing. No, oh, Alan, don't go oh, in. Hey, hey, hey. Don't be part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm right with you guys with a solid seven. I think this is a really good start to a new era, and I'm excited to see where we're headed. OK, y'all, at the end of that episode, we got a trailer for the next series. And we get what looks like to be two major insects. We got <laughs> tractators. And beetles. Sorry, uh, that was a bad pun. But <laughs> and of course, we don't know that they're tractators, but no. holy cow, they look exactly like tractators. Do they? I don't know. I have yes, to look closer at them. I have to look more closely. There's like big beetles to me. I mean, they look as much like tractators as the beetles look like beetles. So. <laughs> All right, Ashley, we got to talk about the beetles, man. We are going to get a beetles episode. This is where my my two fan these two separate fandoms kind of intersect for me, and uh, I don't I don't know anything about the the episode uh, other than it takes place in Abbey Road, uh, and so and the thought is that this is late sixties, so um, so it's taking place uh, during maybe the Abbey Road sessions. Those are not the Abbey Road Beatles. They would not have played like right. that the way they were showing them in the studio during that nineteen sixty nine. They didn't. They didn't record that way anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, that mm -hmm. was, and so I'm hoping. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm hoping I wonder. Like I wonder. I think we might see multiple versions of the Beatles in the story. 
I, I think, think I think that I might think, be I think that might be true. I think we're going through we're skipping through. But yeah. if not, then I'm gonna be very disappointed because that is not the Abbey Road Beatles, not even the way they look. I they that's why that I, I mean, like, you know, for all that <laughs> Russell is, I cannot see him doing a let's do one a Beatles story set in a particular era of the Beatles and have the Beatles not look like they would look at that point in time. Yes. So I just right. can't see that happening. So You're not I gonna think, have an Abbey Road era and not have John with a beard, right? I mean right. I, I think we're gonna have I mean I think we're going to get them like early on so that people will get an yeah. idea. Well, this is this is the one's john's one's ringo and whatnot as they look at the, when they were younger that's what a lot of people are familiar with and then we'll move up to later we'll get the later versions of them. yeah that's possible you also don't do a time travel story and cra- cross by abbey road and not look around and see them walking across the street like you're <laughs> just gonna i mean they they've got to have that in there. and there's also been some set reports that there's some uh rooftop shots there's some stuff of the rooftop concert yeah and those kinds of things so I think you're right. I think you're right. If you're not, then there's going to be some problems, and I'm going to fanboy this uh, when we talk about right. this uh, very a whole lot. Well, I've already got one friend on Facebook who has complained that the way that they look in the studio, John is wearing the wrong glasses because what it looks like the time frame that are we're recording, he didn't have those round frames yet. So it's going to get super nitpicky once this finally comes out. But this is also the episode that features Jinx Monsoon's character, who we know nothing well, about. Do we know that for sure? I think we're just yes. assuming that at this point. No, like, no, no. It's, yes. It's been said. That she's in the Beatles episode. Yes. Okay. So, and we know that she, we've seen pictures of her and she's all festooned in like musical garb you know her clothes reflect music and a piano right i mean that's why i assumed that she was in this one yeah it's like obviously some sort of like giant like cosmic entity about music type of thing if she's like the meddling monk but she only fucks around with music i am all for that let's have that character and let's have her come in and just screw around with music history buddy that's like my dream and have the doctor come and set the musical world right. Oh, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of see her as like, you know, the Batman villain, the music meister. That's yeah. who I'm imagining, but with no with yeah. cosmic powers. Right. Right. So we'll see. I, I don't know. Uh, the, the photos that we've seen of her look way too cartoonish to me. I, I just can't take her seriously until I actually see the character on screen. I just don't know where this is headed. But I'm excited to see some Beatles. And then, of course, we might, might be getting Tractators. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> we'll to hold out that hope until, it, I mean, I don't really think they're going to do Tractators for God's sake. But I think that is a monster that, that you could pull into the new series without a whole lot of explanation. You can, anything the audience needs to know, you can just say on screen. They don't have to know the backstory or any history that the doctor has had with them. And they're an interesting design and they weren't terribly successful on screen as far as the way that they were realized in 1984. So I think it's one that you could do a lot more with now. We'll see if they're just bugs. They're just bugs. Who cares? We'll certainly find out. And uh, I, I, what I really liked about the trailer is it really doesn't tell you much of anything other than just a couple nope. of random shots. Yeah, right on my surprises. So I'm telling you the other thing I liked about the trailer, no fucking Daleks or Cybermen. No, not saying I mean, that like, we, 
Definitely aren't getting them, but at least we don't know yet that we well, are. Well, Russell has said that he's, you know, wants yeah. to give those things a rest. So we yeah. will see. I mean, like it would fit him with the theme of the season if we I would hope so, straight away from those and did more, you know, cosmic fairy type things. So we'll yes. see. More importantly, no ice warriors, which is Oh man, <laughs> that's a that's a dagger to the heart. Yeah. Well, we've got Josh's speed up media corner. Now I've got Two ways I was going to go about this. I'm going to let you guys decide because I've got a Christmas connection with a little more, you know, mm. fantasy edge, or I've got the musical connection because this might be the only time that we get a musical. But then what if Ooh. the Jinx Monsoon episode is a musical episode? I don't know. So I which way should we go with it? I would say let's save the musical one in okay. case. Yeah. All right. All right, so we're going to go Save the musical with... one, and I just expect it has to do a plasticine, which <laughs> is... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what I'm going to recommend then is uh, to stay in the festive spirit with um, entities that are not exactly what I would call all super science fiction Um There is a box set called Ravenous 2, which has a two-parter by John Dornay called uh, Better Watch Out and the Fairy Tale of Salzburg, which features the doctor taking uh, Liv and um, Helen to have a traditional European Christmas in Salzburg. And then stuff goes nuts when the Krampus starts showing up. So uh, it is in the midst of a box set, but it is fairly standalone. You could just listen to those two stories, uh, just knowing that, the uh, doctor, Helen and Liv, he just went through a big thing and Helen got separated from them for a little while and now she's back. And it's a great little story. Of course, anything written by John Dorney is going to be great, uh, but it, it kind of hits the same notes of fantastical Christmassy stuff happening to the doctor. So uh, highly recommend it. Check it out. That sounds good. I have never listened to any of the ravenous stuff. So I, it's it's I don't think it's as strong as Doom Coalition altogether. Um, yeah. They tried to do the thing where they're like, well, we don't want to have everybody have to listen to everything in order in order for it to make sense. So they kind of did more standalone stuff, but still have a thorough line of a story going through it. Uh, but I mean, they, there's still some good strong stuff in there. Of course, like anytime you get a story written by John Dorney, it's going to be good. Yeah. So oh yeah, uh, those ones uh, I'll definitely worth checking out. All right, sounds good. All right, everybody, we will be back next week. I don't even know what we're going to be talking about next week. We'll have to think of something. Okay. <laughs> so it'll be a surprise for us as well as for the audience. And until then, everybody, have a good holiday season. Uh, have a happy new year, and we'll see you next time. Be seeing you. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Doctor Who A to Z. You can find episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and other podcast networks. Theme remix used by kind permission of Doctor Who composer Dominic Glenn. We'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line at Doctor Who A to Z at Gmail or leave a comment wherever you're listening. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe and consider leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. See you next time, and until then, remember, we're all stories in the end. Just make it a good one. Yeah.